Welcome to the Wanting It More podcast. I am your host, Jana Denton-Howes, and it's an absolute delight to have you here. I'm a marriage and intimacy educator, as well as a creator of the Wanting It More program, which has helped thousands of women who are married to men want and enjoy it more in the bedroom. You know, having low desire was something that I personally struggled with for years in my marriage, so I absolutely get it all. You are not alone. Just a heads up, I use all the words in this podcast, so if you've got little ears around or you're in public setting, you may want to pop in some earbuds. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome back to the Wanting It More podcast. Today, Justin is joining us. We are going to be talking around themes about pornography addiction, healing from it, and steps to move forward. So if that's something that you're interested in listening to, keep on going with us. Stay with with us right to the very end because I know we're going to have some really amazing, no pressure, Justin, but really amazing um, (laughs) points for you to um, to consider. So Justin, before we get started, why don't you share a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thank you, Jana. Uh, my name is Justin. I'm 46 years old. Um, I've been uh, a couple for 17 years and married for 15 years uh, to my amazing wife. Um, I have four stepchildren from her first marriage, and we have a 10-year-old of our own. And my background is I went to school to be a uh, high school and middle school English and biology teacher. And for the last 16 years, I've actually worked as a park interpretive naturalist, which is the best job in the world. <laughs> I, may I say, I didn't know that before, but I think you are very well suited to your career. That is fantastic. I would love to learn about nature from you. Oh, yeah. Well, come on out. I'll, I'll take you out and we'll find some owls or have some birds land on our hand. Or something I, like I love it. That's awesome. And if you're curious, we don't normally talk about who's coupled with who. But if you're curious, uh, his wife did an episode as well. And her episode is 74. Her name is Sandra. So we will be, we will be naming names on this episode with her permission. Okay. So just really briefly, Justin, if you could give us a little background into how your porn use started, um, just a little bit of the timeline of how it progressed and, and uh, when things started to shift. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and my story is honestly, I've learned it's like a lot of guys stories. Um, I was raised in a really strict Catholic family. I'm one of five kids and uh, we never talked about sex in my family. I mean, I, I know at some point we had the talk, but I honestly can't remember it. Um, my education around sex was pretty much don't. And then when you're married, you can do it. And somehow magically, that's going to be wonderful. And uh, I also then when I was, I, I was about 13 years old, I was, in, I think I was in the eighth grade, and I discovered a stack of Playboys under my dad's bed. And I used to sneak them once in a while. That was that was my introduction to pornography. And as a kid, I'm like, wait, I, I, we don't even talk about sex. How come dad has these Playboys? So it was, you know, it was a really weird thing. And uh, then for me, it was discovering um, internet pornography in college. I didn't have internet until I went to college. I remember the first time I actually saw a picture of people having sex with all the parts showing and everything. I was, uh, I was 18 years old. And I was I was not sexually active. It was a really weird thing where I had friends, you know, that were literally having sex. But for me, it was um, I discovered pornography. I was convinced that you know sex is something that you don't do until you're married, and uh, I just developed a ton of shame around it. And I used I used internet pornography pornography throughout college, um, and that was kind of my introduction. And it, it, I started to realize towards the end of college, honestly, that there I I had a problem with it, that it was becoming something that I didn't like. A part of me didn't like. I mean, a part of me li- liked it a lot in the beginning, especially. I'm like, I was so curious about sex, and and it feels really great to masturbate, and and uh, and but then to realize that I don't, I don't agree with this. I I feel really bad about it. I feel really, really bad about it. And I think if anybody ever knew, um, that would be like, that would be the end. That was it was some a secret that I was going to keep forever. I didn't want anybody to know, and um. And then I I met my my wife. I met Sandra and we dated and we man, we fell so deeply in love. And uh, she literally asked me at one point in our relationship, um, do you hey, do you want to watch pornography? Because, you know, she was like, oh, you know, she wasn't really into it. She didn't use it, but she had seen 
just like and if you go listen to her episode she's like yeah couples use this they use it to spike to spice it up and i was like oh no no i i don't believe in pornography i don't watch pornography and inside i was terrified i was literally terrified because yeah i'd, I'd been watching pornography and i knew i had a problem with it and i thought if she found out that that would be the end that would be the end of our relationship so i lied i kept it secret i i seriously thought that when we got married um I'd be with a person and I wouldn't need it. And I would just stop. And it was so scary to realize that that didn't happen. And it was then, then my shame became even deeper because then I'm hiding something from my wife. And, uh, and yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of my, my five second journey of pornography. <laughs> and so when did she find out? Um, she found out really quickly. Um, we were we were only married for just a couple weeks, and she saw it on my computer, just some images that I had, and uh, I, I blamed it on my boss. I, my boss was a, a real guy guy, you know, and he's like, "Hey, check out those women over there," and everything like that. And Sandra knew that, so it was really easy to um, to blame it on him. And of course, it wasn't him; it was it was me. And then it was several months later, she, uh, she discovered, she discovered it on my computer and I couldn't blame it on anybody else. And it was, um, it was obvious that I was, I was viewing pornography. Mm -hmm. And how long were you in, into your relationship then? Um, at that point we had, we were married. So we had been married for just a couple of months. We had dated for the two years before that. So it was about two and a half years into our relationship. And uh, yeah, it was it was a it was a huge a huge thing uh, a real pain point because even though um, she had asked me at some point about if I'd want to watch it, it was really apparent that me secretly watching it was um, against the agreement of our marriage. You know, she did not approve. She was very upset, and uh, and at that point, we both um, saw a counselor, and uh, it was. It was one of those interesting situations where the counselor was very much, um, it's, this isn't a big deal. You know, I remember Sandra feeling really gaslit by this counselor because we both saw the same counselor in separate sessions. And to me, she was like, nah, this is kind of a normal thing. You know, guys do this and, you know, just kind of figure out why you're doing it and, and, you know, just try to stop. And to Sandra, she was like, yeah, guys do this, you know? And, uh, and I came out of it and I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to stop. I I'm going to stop. And then I, I completely didn't. Mm. I, I I went back to being even more secretive because I knew at this point that no, this is this is damaging. Um, I need to stop. And so we installed some blockers on our computer, and uh, and then after a couple months, honestly, just pretended it never happened, really. Mm. And then how long did that um, persist for? Oh, and then that persisted for a couple more years. Again, I just, I got sneakier about it. I, I tried to, I didn't have access to it as much, so it was harder. Um, but I still, I was, it, that's when I was really realizing just the compulsive nature of it. And I would, at that from, I went from just watching internet pornography to, I remember stopping at a gas station and picking up a, uh, like a, like a Playboy magazine at a gas station. And then feeling horrible about it and shredding it up and throwing it away in a dumpster somewhere. And then I was at my brother's once and, you know, he went to the bathroom and I pulled up porn on his computer and I'm like, what the hell am I doing? Why, why am I doing this? Why? But, um, so about two years went on and Sandra was like, okay, you know, things are okay. And the blocker was blocking something else on the computer that she wanted to use. So we took the blocker off the computer and she and my one of my old stepdaughter went away for a weekend to go to a music concert. And I was alone by myself. And it was the first time I had the computer to myself and access again. And I, I came home and I binged. I watched pornography for several hours. And previous to that, I had just been a little snippet here, a magazine there, you know, a video here, but enough to just keep it keep it fresh in my, in my brain. You know, I was keeping the addiction going. And after that binge, um, she came home and, and found out. And that, that was even an even bigger blow up. And we went to counseling again. And uh, I saw this counselor for several months. And it was also really um, disheartening 
because one of his big messages to me was, you're a really smart guy. Um, smart people usually don't get addictions like this. Like mm -hmm. you, you're, you're smart enough. You shouldn't have a problem with this. Yeah. So suddenly this part of me that felt like, why am I doing this? What the hell's wrong with me? Now I feel like, oh, I'm like, I'm horribly, I'm horribly broken. I'm horribly messed up. And I would just really white knuckled. And I'm like, I'm going to stop this. And I, and I would, and I, I, I would space it out, but two months or no, two weeks would go by and I'd watch five minutes of porn. Three weeks would go by. And I watched 10 minutes of porn, you know, so it never became like I was never watching hours at that point, but it, it never left my life. It was still there. Um, on, and that brought us to this year, to literally um, March of 2023, when I had been keeping it secret for literally 10 years. And in that time, um, it was in 2016 or 2017, I discovered the work of Gary Wilson, who did uh, Your Brain on Porn. And I started reading about pornography addiction and how it affects the brain. Because at this point, I, I knew I wasn't happy and I knew this had something to do with it. So going back six, seven years, I really, 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 I'm like, oh, I'm going to figure out what this is, what's going on here. But I was always also keeping it utterly and completely secret. Nobody, nobody, nobody in my life knew. So even though, and I remember installing a blocker on my own computer two years ago. And telling Sandra, well, you know, I've been thinking about pornography, so I want to put this blocker on. I've been trying to stop masturbating, so I'm putting this blocker on. And she's like, well, what are you, what are you talking about? And I, I didn't have the courage to tell her, no, I'm, I'm still using porn. And at that point, I had gotten to the point where I could maybe go up to three months. Maybe three months would go by and I wouldn't watch porn, but it would always come back. And then I'd watch it a couple times in a week. And then I might go two or three weeks. And then I might go two or three months. But I could never get rid of it from my life. Oh, Justin, I just applaud your courage. Really applaud your courage here. Because this is something that so many men struggle with. And there are very few men being honest about what it's like and the journey um, through years, years that and and the shame that you must have been going through the the isolation, the loneliness, the um, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, for, no, thank you, know, you. Thank you for sharing that. So, uh, so at some point. Um, it all came out and, and you began your journey of, of really tackling this, of really healing this with the support of your wife. And before we started recording, we, we kind of brainstormed about five different, you know, milestones or, or major things that Justin was able to do or experience that were, that really were pivotal in his healing journey. And so, Justin, why don't you just get us started with the first one? Yeah, thank you, Jana. And the, the first one was Sandra, my wife, Sandra, having a boundary. Um, like she says in her interview, three strikes and you're out. This was the third discovery of me using porn, um, the third big one. And uh, at that point, she was sharing some some materials with me. Uh, there's a, a, a Dr. Omar Minwala who has a, a, a theory of sexual uh, deviant behavior, whether it's using pornography or affairs or prostitutes, and that any sort of secret sexual behavior is abusive to your partner, that it does harm. And I had always been looking at it as like my problem, my issue, like the secret thing that only affected me. And when she shared that with me, I realized, oh my gosh, like, this isn't just about me. Like if I'm, if I choose to watch porn again, I'm abusing my wife. I'm hurting my wife. And for me, that was at that point, she still didn't know. Um, she had, we were just discussing it because I had shared some sexual memes with a coworker when I wasn't using porn, which I now look as like this and acting out, like I was trying to get this dopamine hit that I would have normally gotten from porn. So she shares this with me. I realized that watching porn is abusive. And I told her, I said, Hey, um, I'm still, I'm still struggling with this. I'm still watching porn. 
And at that point, it was like, okay, we, she's like, no, you know, I, I will not have this in my life. Um, and she was really, really upset. And, and she deserved to be upset. This is what I've learned, that every wife who learns her husband has been using pornography has every right to feel upset, has every right to feel betrayed. And she tells me that was the most painful thing she's ever gone through. But for me, realizing that this is abusive, that was the hard stop. I'm like, I will never do this again. Um, I cannot do this again. And she was upset enough that it was like, no, this, this, this is the end of our marriage. If this continues, this is the end. But she also realized that, you know, when feelings are that high, we have to give each other a little space. So we sat down and decided that in 12 months, we'd have this conversation again. And she laid out extremely explicitly, I want you to go see a specialist. I want you to continue working with your counselor. I want you to do a, join a 12-step group. I want you to work with a sponsor. I want you to do all these things. And if you can't agree to do these things, and if you don't do these things in 12 months, um, we're, you're not gonna, we're not going to have a marriage anymore. And it was one of the scariest moments of my life. And I look back on it and I'm like, I needed that because for years I had been convinced, like every year I'd tell me, this is the year I'm not going to watch porn. This is the year I'm going to do it this year. And it was always this secret struggle. And it, I wish I could say I would have gotten help without that boundary from her, but I, I wouldn't have. No. Um, so when she gave me that boundary, again, learning it was abusive was the thing that made me stop. But having that boundary and all those requirements and the, the threat of losing my marriage is what actually made me do the work to understand what was going on. For those who are listening, who are thinking, whoa, that's a big word, abusive. Really, Justin, could you share a little bit about why it's abusive? Yeah, yeah. And it's it's actually really interesting because even in the... Um, the the therapy world not all therapists agree that pornography use is abusive but i do i think at, with all the learning i've done and what i've learned how it affected sandra how it affected me how it affected everybody around me um yes i i believe that when i decided to get married and we made an agreement like that's something that we share with each other and any sort of sexual behavior, Manwala has the idea of the secret sexual basement. If you're keeping part of your sexuality secret from your partner, um, and it's the core of who we are, our sexuality is the core of who we are. And to be doing something that's secret, and it, it is, it, it hurts our partner. And I, I see it in Sandra, I see it in other women whose husbands have used pornography. Like, I, it's like the psychology doesn't even matter. It's you look at these women and I know from my wife, she went through an abusive relationship in a marriage prior to me. Um, she was verbally abused and emotionally abused. And she still says that this was the most painful part of her, her life. And it was because she loved me so much. And for me to be going somewhere else to meet my sexual needs, um, it, it is, it's abuse. It, it hurts the people in our lives. Can you give, look, from your perspective, looking back, what were some specific things that you were doing because of this, um, this, 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 what that was in your brain to Sandra? How were you harming her? Yeah. And that kind of gets into our, our other points because one of the big things, well, part of it is when I'm keeping a secret it, it kind of messes with my brain. And there are so many points I can think about. And it's almost strange looking back to myself a year ago. And it's hard to like even get into that mindset. But little things, little things I would be agitated about. I would be defensive about. I would have to keep up lies. Again, even though the pornography use wasn't, it wasn't like I was spending hours a day, but I still had to maintain this level of, uh, dishonesty in my relationship at all times. I didn't have integrity. Um, she would, and it would come out in weird little ways um, about, again, just being defensive, being aggravated, being unable to listen to her when she needed to me to listen to her. And then in the sexual realm itself, one of the big things that pornography does is it just skews our, our view of what sex is and what sex is for 
And as an addict, somebody who gets addicted to pornography, we start to believe that that sex is love and that we need sex to feel love and that we need sex. There's this super toxic part of guy culture that says women need emotional connection to want to have sex yeah. and men need physical connection. Men need sex to feel emotionally connective. And that's a pornographic way of relating. That, Thank that's you. That Thank you for saying that, Justin. I am going to stand up and applaud that phrase because that is so true. If when another person says that to me, like as a proof that somehow women need to give sex to to so so these poor men can feel connected, it's like no, that that's that's gross. Yes. Oh, it's totally gross, and and it comes out of this. And I look at pornography as just a big component of guy culture. I don't think you can separate them. Pornography, I mean, you look at the statistics and 90 something percent of guys are watching porn. And one research study I read said that 86% of couples report um, unwanted pornography usage as a stressor in their relationship. So most guys are watching porn. And when you when when you boil sex down to this act, um, and and you think I need this to feel connected to my partner, um, it, it's using your partner. It's objectification. It's entitlement. It's because everything. Oh yeah, it it turns it turns the relationship on its head. And for a guy to say I need sex to feel connection does a huge disservice to both their partner and to them as a as a man. Like we no, we need connection. Yeah. And when we have really good connection, we can have really wonderful sex. But pornography, I think, is a big, a big factor in guys having a really messed up way of trying to connect with their partner. It's almost like because we see this, we we look at porn and we feel wanted, we feel desired, we feel powerful, we there's feel no, like there's you know, no rejection, no rejection, no, no fear. No. It's uh, we get to feel connected without doing any of the work. And in demanding sex from our partner to feel connected is the exact same thing. It's saying, I want to, because I legitimately love my wife and I always loved her. And even when I was addicted, I loved her. And, and I never, I wasn't somebody who imagined porn when I was having sex. I never brought that into the relationship, but it was always in my mind and it changed the way I thought. And I was looking to sex to meet this need for connection when I should have been connecting with Sandra yeah. and then letting the sex come out of that. Yeah. Men are human and, and humans yeah. can find connection in all sorts of wonderful ways, but you're right. Yeah. Wow. Thanks. Thanks for saying that. Um, I concur everything you're saying. <laughs> yeah. is, yes. That yeah. is, that is not only from a personal standpoint, but professionally that, that is the, these are the patterns that I'm seeing as well. So you had to find um, you had to find the courage at some point to really share everything with her. Yeah, and um, and that was that was I think that was the turning point for me because again, Sandra gave me the boundary, and that made me realize I have to do some work if I want to stay in this marriage. I have to do some work. Um, and then uh, the only people in my life I had ever taught, and, and geez, in forty five years, I had told my two brothers. That was it. They were the only people in the world. And one brother was really dismissive. He's like, oh, all guys do this. And one brother was really sympathetic, but he wasn't able to support me at all. So I needed that. I needed that threat of the end of my marriage. And I still remember the very first day I went to a 12 step meeting. And for me, it was the Sex and Porn Addicts Anonymous. And luckily with the pandemic, a lot of things went online. So I was able to find a group that met whenever I wanted. And the first time I remember my heart just beating out of my chest, I enter this zoom room and there's 25 guys and there's two women, which surprised me. And, uh, and there's a very formulaic way for a meeting to start. And one of the questions they ask is, do we have any new members? Is there anybody here who has never been to a meeting before? And my part's like, boom, boom, boom in my chest. And I'm like, I unmute and I'm like, Hey, my name is Justin. And I'm a sex and porn addict and this is my first meeting and the strangest thing happened because i had never talked about this and as soon as i said that it was like this party 
everyone's like new member meeting, new member meeting. And it's like the balloons are going up and the confetti is coming down. And, and these, all these guys are welcoming me and they're, they're sharing their stories. They made a whole bunch of space for me to tell my story. And in my heart, I knew if somebody knew that I was watching pornography, they wouldn't love me. If somebody knew I was watching pornography, they wouldn't accept me. That there was something fundamentally wrong that like I screwed everything up, that there's no way Sandra could actually love me. There's no way anybody could love me. And here I step into this meeting. Oh man, it still gets me. And everybody's like, we're so glad you're here. We're so glad you're sharing your story. We've all got a story too. You're one of us. And again, I think 90 something percent of guys are watching porn. So most of us have this story. And for me, that was, that was, it, it was like a, a thousand pounds were lifted from my shoulder. Like I can, I can talk about this because I didn't have one guy. I look that that's the biggest thing I regret because when my dad found out that I was looking at his Playboy magazines as a teenager, he pulled me out of bed in my sleep, jabbed his finger into my chest and said, if you want to look at magazines, you tell me you want to look at magazines. And here's like the guy that's my hero. I look up to him and I look, I know now as an adult that, you know, and I lost him a long time ago to cancer. So he's not with me anymore, but he had so much shame trying to put this image of being this good Catholic dad. And, and, um, and he gave that shame to me. And I was just, I just to learn that I could talk about this with people that I wasn't fundamentally evil. I wasn't fundamentally broken. That sex is something that of course I'd be curious about. And, uh, and, and everybody's curious about it learning like other people they they were sexually active when they were kids and i wasn't and i channeled that into porn and just picked up shame so much shame so that was that was a big turning point for me and then just attending those meetings every week talking to these guys every week hearing their struggles and them hearing my struggles every week it made such a such a difference and now i feel like i can't stop talking about it because i'm like i want to talk about it. i want to help other guys you know that's awesome. And it must be e extra hard as a man and man culture, guy culture to do that, to step into a room and not know if you'll be accepted, what, what they're going to think of you. Yeah. So. Yeah, totally. So, totally. so huge. So grateful that there, there are these spaces for men to gather and, and talk about the real stuff. The statistics I'm hearing these days are a hundred percent. That's kind of the, yeah, yeah, the actually, direction we're going. What, what, whenever they try to do a study on the effects of pornography, they it's really hard because they can't find guys that don't watch pornography. Yeah. There's, there's no control group, no control you know? group. And, and I'm thankful that, you know, for me, it wasn't until I was 18 and nowadays boys are discovering it when they're 10, oh, when yeah. they're nine, you know, when they're 11. And uh, at least for me, I had a lot of sexual development under my belt because there's a big difference between a Playboy magazine and geez, the stuff in my time. I've again, I've struggled with this for 20, 25 years. And I've seen how pornography has gotten way more violent and way more intense and way more. I mean, it used to be pictures and now and each picture would take a minute to load. And it's so it's so different now. Yeah, I think the violence is the the biggest thing. I I kind of feel like we need a new name for it. We can't just call it porn anymore. I think we oh, need to call it agree. something else. Like we need to call it um sexual violent sexual violent films against women or something like that. Yeah. Oh, totally. Um, yes. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. I uh this is one of the realizations I've had because I've worked with uh, eight different counselors and coaches over the last year. Amazing. And in two of the two of the sex therapists I've worked with, um, they they use pornography in their practice. They they don't see it as something that's necessarily fundamentally bad or wrong. Mm. And again, with everything I've experienced in my marriage and what I see with guys, I, I can't look at it that way. I think you can have the most ethically produced, gentlest pornography in the world, and it still does damage. 
it still does damage in a relationship. And then the fact that it's turning into this crazy, violent thing is oh, so much worse. Yeah, it's really scary. So I'm guessing when you work with those eight different coaches and counselors, you did some work around discovering why this had been an issue for you. And that's that's sort of the third point that you had mentioned to me as being a turning point in your healing. Yeah, definitely. And uh, the first part of that was doing a full therapeutic disclosure. It was one of the requirements to stay in my marriage. Um, and Sandra and I both work with coaches because again, she was experiencing trauma from what I had done. And I was realizing, uh, I had been experiencing trauma as well. That's what brought me to pornography in the first place. So I spent about eight weeks doing a full disclosure. What this involved is a, a cataloging of my entire sexual history from the first time I had an erection to the first time I saw a swimsuit magazine to the first time I saw a Playboy magazine to the first time I used internet pornography and charting as well as I could 25 years of what I saw, how often I used it, when I used it, how I used it, um, everything. And Sandra, she's a researcher extraordinaire. And again, she was it hurt her so much. So she had a list of about 60 questions she wanted to know about my past beyond my entire story. So I, I put a lot of work. And then at the end of that is a uh, polygraph. I had to take a polygraph test to verify that everything I was telling was the truth. And I will say that was very um, important to me because one, it kept me honest with myself. I knew and again, I, it's 25 years. I can't remember every single little detail, but that's what gives me a lot of motivation to get as well as I can remember. And then it also is really helpful for Sandra because a lot of sex addicts, they might escalate. That's a big thing. That's why porn has gotten more and more violent because as your brain gets more used to it and you need a bigger dopamine hit, you start progressing into into webcams and chats and prostitutes and picking people up. And, and, uh, and I didn't do that. Um, just with how my brain works, I, I just kind of kept it at just porn and I had a go-to porn, but Sandra didn't know that. So to be able to, then I drove three hours down to a place in Ohio where I could get a polygraph and then the three hours back. And that goes to my coach so that Sandra could see, yes, that this, 30 page document that I'm giving her is, is, is my sexual story. And, um, and then working with counselors and working with coaches to realize why was I doing it? Because again, I had been trying to stop for a long time and I had learned about how it changes our brain and how guys, guys turn to porn for all kinds of reasons when they're lonely or bored or stressed or anxious, or they feel disconnected. But those are, those are like these almost like surface level triggers. And for me, I had to go deeper and I had to learn that in my family, we never talked about emotions. We were that perfect Catholic family where, you know, we're all the valedictorians. We're all 4.0 students. We're all lined up and we're so well behaved and so kind and so considerate. And we never talked about emotions. I never saw my parents argue. And I've asked my siblings during this process, do you ever remember mom and dad arguing? No, I never saw my mom or dad comfort each other. I never saw them get upset about something. Uh, it was always just, oh, you're going to be fine. Just get over it. Like I was taught to basically take every single emotion I have and to stuff it. And the only emotions that are worthwhile are the, are the positive ones. And in the beginning, pornography just is cool because, hey, you know, it's people having sex and I'm a teenager and I want to have sex and my religion tells me I can't. So at least I'm going to watch these and I'm going to feel horrible about it, but it's really exciting. And then as I use it more and more, my brain starts to be like, oh, hey, when I feel all these feelings that my parents have taught me not to feel, it feels really good to just like masturbate and watch porn. And when I'm in a relationship with my wife and she says something that's critical of me yeah. and I've never had that modeled for me and it feels horrible. And I don't even know what that feeling is, but if I watch porn the next day for a couple minutes, like 
I feel really good because porn is really, really good at helping us run away. It's really, really good at dulling pain, at dulling fear, at dulling um, anxiety. So I had to learn that I'd, I'd use it when I'd feel anxious, but I had to really learn that I felt anxious because I really sucked at a lot of emotional expression. And I was a really, really smart guy. And even Sandra would tell you like, you know, she's like, oh, you're so smart and so sensitive. And even as somebody who's smart and sensitive, there was so many emotional blind spots I had that I didn't know what to do with. Like when, when, and, I, and then I realized when she would even, and it's guy culture too, because guy culture tells you, you've got to be in control. You've got to be smart. You've got to, you always are, you always know what you're doing. And if you show vulnerability, you're not a guy. If you show weakness, you're not a guy. And the biggest, I think some of the most toxic stuff is if you show vulnerability, the girls aren't going to like you. And if you show weakness, and I was that skinny, smart kid in high school. So that even hurt even worse. Like, oh, there's no way I can show vulnerability. You know, I, I want the girls to like me. And, and, oh, so I had to learn that, um, there were lots of things I was, I wasn't good at conflict. I wasn't good at, um, at anxiety. And oh, and the biggest thing is I wasn't good at loving my wife when she felt those things too. Mm -hmm. I was raised to be like, no, we're, we're this perfect family. We're always happy. And that's, that's, that's damaging. It's damaging. Because the biggest thing I've learned in this year is that I can offer Sandra is that she gets to feel whatever she feels mm. and I'm going to be here to love her. And I couldn't, I couldn't feel that in my body. I didn't know how to process that. I didn't know how to be with that. And, but I knew how to escape from it by watching porn, you know, or I knew how to escape from it by beginning cranky, by shoving it down, by I'm just going to run around the house and take care of everything. Because again, my family was really, really good at teaching us how to be polite and how to be kind and how to be helpful and all these like surface level things. And they were really bad at teaching me how to, how to be afraid, how to be anxious, how to be nervous, how to be angry, how to be sad, oh, how to grieve. I had no idea how to grieve. And, um, and that means I couldn't offer those to my wife. I couldn't offer those to the people in my life. I couldn't offer those to my stepkids in the way that they deserved. That's that's my biggest grief. I wish I could go back in time and give Sandra that love that I wasn't able to give her for 15, 17 years. So that was the discovering the why, discovering that I was running away. And in this process, I had to make a choice that I'm not going to run away you know, anymore. No. And I had to literally learn to just sit next to her because, you know, this was this was the most painful thing we'd ever gone through. And she was really, really angry at me. She was really, really hurt. She was really betrayed, like all these deep emotions that I had locked away and that just weren't allowed to be expressed in my life. And I had to, like, literally just practice, OK, I'm going to sit next to her at the table and she, I know she's really angry but I'm not going to run away. And um, that was, I think the biggest part of my journey was, and we did therapeutic abstinence. So we were, we decided on three months of no, no, no sex. And that turned into almost five months because I had more work I needed to do. But in that time, it was every day practicing, talking about emotions. Every single day we made time where we would, we do a Thanos check-in. F-A-N-O-S, feelings, affirmations, needs, ownership, and struggles. So I would tell her how I was feeling. Um, I'd have to affirm something about her that she did that I that resonated with me, uh, something I needed, the things I owned, the things I had done to hurt her that I owned, and the things I was still struggling with. And it was, and then she would do the same for me. And it was really, really hard. And we made sure to do it every day. And that was so strange to be four months into this process where it's the first four months in my adult life. Geez, the first four months of my life since I've been 13 where I haven't masturbated for four months. I haven't had sex. I haven't had an orgasm. 
all I've been doing is talking. And I came from this place thinking I need sex to feel love. And I'm talking with my wife and things are really freaking painful. And I start realizing, oh my gosh, I feel more connected to her than I've ever felt in my life. And it, it was just amazing. So that kind of bleeds in, I guess, the number four, the emotional work. Because I mean, Justin, just keep talking. This is great. Oh, yeah, because and I, I think I think that's the key. I think that's the secret sauce for guys everywhere is that we we need as guys, we need to do the emotional work. We need to deconstruct this idea that guys need to be in control. That we always need to one up each other. That we always have to compete with each other. That we always have to be angry or happy or stoic that, you know, we need to, we need to do the emotional work. We need to learn how to feel. We need to learn how to be afraid, how to be angry, how to be vulnerable, how to be happy, how to be comforting, how to comfort somebody, how to sit there with somebody who's having a big emotion and, and not maybe a fix big it. emotion about you. Too. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's, oh, yeah. Thank you for saying that. That's the biggest thing. Owning what we've done, owning the way we've hurt our partner. Not that we even wanted to hurt our partner, because I believe most guys don't want to hurt their partners. Yeah. I believe most guys don't want to be abusers. Most guys, honestly, I think most guys don't even want to watch porn. I think most guys want the connection. They want okay. to feel connected. They want to feel loved. They want to feel validated. They want to feel appreciated. They want to feel desired. And porn is such a cheap substitute for all of those things. Yeah. Like, ah, uh, and, and guys need to, we need those. We need all those feelings. And that's where I'm so happy to be here now hmm. because um, just like I, I was just in quarantine for 10 days with COVID. So I was literally in a room by myself with a computer. And at the end of the quarantine, Sandra came to me and she's like, so did you, uh, did you have to struggle with like not watching porn? Did you? And I was like, I didn't even think about porn. <laughs> like there's this idea once an addict, always an addict. And I think the addict model can be really helpful. And I needed it because I had a problem. I could not stop and I needed help. I needed all kinds of help. Um, but I'm in this place now where I don't even think about it. Like I have, I have zero desire to watch porn because it's like, I feel it in my body. What a cheap substitute it is for reality. Yeah. Like, I don't want that anymore. Yeah. I, I literally don't want that anymore. Yeah. It, it's, it doesn't. Beautiful. Yeah. It's so beautiful. And, and it's what we hear from men who have gone through whim. Now, whim isn't about porn healing, but I do sort of open the box to that and and share the harmful effects that porn can have on the porn user and their partner. And so we do see some men while they're in their whim journey detoxing from porn. And, and then, like you said, getting a taste of what real connection could feel like and even though before they they they're sort of mourning the potential loss of of blowjobs or the potential loss of this freaky thing they want to do and they and they think if we get if i get that if i get intercourse if i get xyz then i'll feel connected and that will be so fulfilling for me but getting that taste of real genuine mutual connection it they say i'll never go back I'll I'll give up everything else. I'm never and that's oh <laughs> those words are just so wonderful to hear because now I know the richness that they get in their life. That like what are you really throwing away if that's going to be the results? And that's what you're oh, going to totally. be able to experience. Yeah. Can I just can we stick on emotion for a second here? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So. So you're using, you were using porn to run to when you were feeling sad, any of the negative emotions and you were feeling some relief. Would you say it was basically your only go-to strategy for self-care or did you have anything else in your life? Did you have buddies you hung out with, hobbies? Did you feel fulfilled in your life? Like, did you, do you listen to music? Do you play music? Like, do you, did you have anything else? 
Yeah. And that's, I think that's the insidious part of porn right there because yeah, I have a job that I love. I work with kids. I share nature with them. I have some really awesome coworkers. Um, but I have to admit, and I, I like to exercise, you know, that's always been an important part of my life. I love music. I love learning. Um, I do origami and weird things like that. So I have these hobbies, but this process helped me learn that I had a huge gap where I know I don't have other guys that I could talk about emotions with. I don't. I'm still working on that now. I'm still working on building community um, because those other things, exercise, having a satisfying job, having satisfying coworkers, um, having hobbies, they don't fill that emotional hole. Mm -hmm. So, and I think having that richness allowed me, again, it allowed me to not need porn all the time, but I'd still hit those pain points. I'd still hit those anxiety points. I'd still hit those emotional blind spots. I'd still hit those conflicts with Sandra, with my wife. And one of the most useful things was I have a really good therapist that I was, I've been seeing now for two years. And a lot of guys get to that point where it's like, oh man, if, if, if I could just have more sex, that's it. I'd feel, I'd feel great. Mm -hmm. And, or if, if she would just validate me more, I'd feel great. If she would do this, mm -hmm. I would feel okay. And I wouldn't if she need would just more. be happy with me. If she would exactly. just not complain. She, totally. All these things. If she would do this, I wouldn't feel bad and I wouldn't need to watch porn. And my counselor, man, he's, he's such a great guy. He, he would lovingly and extremely firmly say, Hey, this is a Justin problem. This has nothing to do with your wife. And I needed that. I needed him to, to be like, no, this isn't about, and I, I see that a lot in, in the guys groups. They're still like, oh, if my wife would just do this, I'd be, I'd be perfect. And it's not about that. It's about, they have to do the work. They have to figure out their own stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, I'm still, I'm still working on, on that emotional component about getting, getting guys that I can really talk about. And here's the thing. I feel like I can do it now. I couldn't do it before. I didn't know how, and now I'm hungry for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's a really difficult situation where you go to something for those, for those negative emotions that you're, that are most triggered when you're with your wife. And then you take away that coping strategy and you're left with, you know, a situation where your wife is even more angry with you, more upset. And so that old coping thing is gone and you don't maybe necessarily have new coping things in place yet. So that's a really difficult moment to get through. Oh yeah. And that's why I think it's been this, the, the year before I told her about it, I was really, really doubling down on not watching porn and I had blockers. I had installed my own blockers and I wasn't doing it for long stretches of time. And I was, I was horrible. You know, there, there are points where, again, I, I, I was cranky. I was reactive. I was defensive. I was, um, I was rough to be around. Yeah. And I have to own that. I have to own that because yeah, I wasn't putting in any healthy coping strategies. I wasn't just being honest. That's the base thing. I wasn't even being honest about, oh no, I'm feeling cranky. I couldn't do that. I would just, I would just be cranky. So what do you do now? What are your go-to things when you are feeling rejected or sad or grieving or any of those hard, complicated emotions? Yeah. Um, the biggest thing is, again, realizing I even have these emotions. They're even there. Learning for me, I had to learn how to feel them in my body. And again, I work with some really good counselors. I think, And I think we need this. We need somebody who can train us how to do this because it's hard to do by yourself to learn um, where, where I feel it in my body, how it feels. And then also, again, getting that centeredness where it's like, it's okay. It's okay to feel angry. It's okay to feel cranky. And since it's okay, then I can talk about it. And I can talk about it with, with my wife. I can talk about it with other people in my life. I can just be, I can be honest with myself and genuine. I can be honest with coworkers. I don't always have to be in control and perfect. I can be like, oh no, I'm actually having a really crappy day. I'm, I'm really upset about something. 
And oh, and the biggest thing I think though is learning that um again ownership of those emotions because it's so easy to be like I'm angry because you or I'm irritated because you. And one of the biggest things I had to learn was again this isn't about my wife, it's not about my daughter, it's not about my stepkids, it's about me. Yeah. And just 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 uh man uh Robert Augustus Masters has a book called To Be a Man and his it's so it's so anti-guy culture because there's a lot of guy culture that still has these really toxic messages. And he teaches you to say the emotion and then to shut up. Don't blame it on anybody. Just just be in that emotion. And uh and now I'm in this place where Sandra can share her emotions with me. And I can receive them because I'm not getting defensive about them. I'm not getting aggravated. I can just acknowledge she has them. I can validate her for those emotions. And I can reassure her that, hey, yeah, that makes sense. And you know what? I love you. Yeah. And she can do the same for me. So, uh, yeah, just just practicing. And it takes a lot of practice. I mean, I'm, I'm like a baby on this journey. I'm just starting. But I, I can see where I where I've come and looking back to where I used to be, I almost don't recognize myself. Amazing. And here's the thing. I think all guys can do it. I do, too. All guys can do emotional work. Yeah, I believe it, too. It's, it's not locked away just for women and it's not locked away just for some guys like we can all do this. Yes, this is a human experience. This is available to humans. And that is what we yes. are. <laughs> and, and most of us, 99.9% .9 people out there are humans. Yeah. So how has it been um, kind of getting back into sexual experiences with your wife? I know you had a period of abstinence and uh, yeah. How, how has that journey been? Yeah. And that's where uh, step number five is I'm going to say it. It's whim. I think what you've discovered, Jana, is mind blowing and revolutionary and it's needed. I think every guy needs to go through this program. I literally think that because one of our big fears, especially one of Sandra's fears is, okay, so my husband's been a sex addict. He's been using sex to moderate his emotions. He has all these unhealthy patterns around sexuality. What is healthy? And there's a lot of, there are some really good resources out there about what is a pornographic style of relating and what is healthy sexuality. Um, and they're really good. And they're also, they deal at this like really kind of like surface level of, of like these big themes, like unhealthy sexuality is objectifying and healthy sexuality is mutual in these things where it's like, okay, that's, that's really great. But what does that actually mean? Like, how do you do that? And that's where, um, Again, the WIM program, I, you, I, I am so thankful that we discovered your podcasts and we listened to every single one of them together. And then we realized, oh, we need to take this program. I remember Sandra being like, no, we, we're going to do, this is going to be our graduation um, because we were really, I was really committed. She was really committed. And if two people are committed, they can, they can put things back together. And um our sex life is better than it's ever been. And we were that cute, cuddly couple in the beginning. We just, we were all over each other and people are like, oh, you're so cute. And we look back on that and we're like, we didn't know what we were doing back then. Like what we have now is so much better hmm. in every way, in every way. Okay, so what, what, what details, Justin? Okay, details. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think a lot of guys come to sex again to meet a need. They want to feel loved. They want to feel connected. They want to feel desired. They want to feel validated. And when one person comes into sex with that need and they're not being honest about it and they're not being transparent about it, the other person feels used. I had to learn that, that I was loving my, I, I wanted to love my wife. And I wanted to feel these things. And by me having this agenda for sex, it was causing damage. It was hurting her. So every single thing that I want sex to create, I need to create outside of the bedroom. I need to create 
connection. I need to create validation. I need to create, and we do that by talking. We do that by sharing. We do that with non-sexual touch. We do that with closeness. And when we feel connected and validated and reassured and desired, then we can go into the sexual encounter. And I love what you say about, then you can take from it. Because for us, the most revolutionary thing, oh, it like blew our mind. Like, why, why do we have sex? What's the purpose of sex in our relationship? And we can use it to comfort each other. We can use it. We literally, we, we believe we're using it to heal each other because we both have pretty rough backgrounds from our families of origin. And she had a rough relationship with her first husband. And I've had a trauma around my sexuality. And um, when we're both connected outside the bedroom, then we can nourish each other. We can comfort each other. We can reassure each other. And sex has become, and I, I, let me say, um, XDs and sexual encounters have become a normal scheduled part of our lives. And they're very slow and they're very gentle and they're very loving and they're very playful and they're very silly. And we feel nourished by each other because we're coming into them knowing that we're already connected. We're already validated. We're already reassured. Like, I, I just want to say, I, I think every guy needs to outgrow porn because I literally feel like I can love so much deeper. I feel like my capacity to love my wife has tripled and everybody in my life. I, I, I think porn is, it's, it's predatory on men and it's abusive towards women. And if we can get rid of it, we can learn that we can really love each other and we can give to each other and then we can receive from each other. So I don't know, do you want more details? But that, uh... was, that was, that was a mic drop moment, Justin. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story with us, your heartfelt honest, vulnerable, true experience. I have no doubt it is going to help hundreds, if not thousands of men. I know I will be referring folks to this episode over and over again. Before we end, I know we covered a lot, but just in case, was there anything that we haven't gotten to that you wanted to share? Oh, well, I just, I want to thank you, Jenna, because again, I, I couldn't be here without you and without the WIM program. And I, I, I think every guy deserves to be in a place where they can really love their partner, where they can be responsive to their partner, where it's consensual and mutual. Because you, you listed off a couple of things earlier about blowjobs and this and that. And, and porn teaches us that we need these acts to get like this bigger dopamine rush. And when we can get beyond that, like we don't need any of that stuff. What we need is what we need is connecting with our partner. We're we're designed as a human species to to bond with a person and to love them. And I think the WIM program is so wonderful in teaching us how to do that. Hmm. Because why would I ever want to do something that my partner doesn't want? Why would I ever want to do something that my partner doesn't enjoy? And that's what the WIM program teaches us to find just pleasure and it's just so delicious when we can love each other and we both really want it and we want to do it together mm. and and again i wouldn't be here without you and the whim program so thank you so much thank you justin a heartfelt thank you not only for coming on the podcast but also for being such a valuable contributing member in the men's space and community and also for for helping me um as i've shared on the podcast we are going to be really creating a much larger program for men actually equal to to what we offer for women and justin has been a part of, of a group of men who have been kind of helping me along and giving me feedback so so heartfelt thank you thank you to everyone who's been listening right to the end i hope this episode has been eye-opening i know it has been for me and i'll talk to you in the next one bye for now if you've enjoyed this episode, I have a favor to ask of you. 
It's really hard to get the word out about a podcast about sex. What would really, really help is if you would leave a rating and a review. And I know that you get asked this all the time in different podcasts, but please, I beg you, it would really, really help so that more women who need this message will hear it. All you have to do is go into your Apple podcast app. It's the purple icon. And if you go to the podcast page where it shows my face, and has a little button that says latest episodes. If you scroll down past the episodes and you get to a section called ratings and reviews, there's a little purple writing thing that says write a review. If you click on that, it will ask you to give it a five stars. Actually, you can put any stars, but five is what I would love. And put a title and then write your review. Thank you so much for supporting this little venture here and I really am so grateful. If you are curious about wanting it more and how this program could help you want and enjoy sex more with your husband and you feel like it may be a great next step for you, you can go to janadentonhouse.com slash wanting it more to sign up for the wait list, to learn more, to see when we're running our next round. All right, that's it. I'll see you next one.